But I don't, I really don't have any regrets. I really don't. I've, I've lived exactly how I've wanted to. I've tried my hardest every single time. I didn't win the matches that maybe I should have always won. Or, but I really gave it my all. So that for me is enough. Hey y'all, howdy, hi, can I say it in many more ways that can annoy you? This is like no. take three. They've all annoyed me so far. <laughs> Welcome back to the body serve. I said to you, let's do something different. Let's be fun on this episode. Let's be funny. And what did you say? You said I'm more of a miserable gay than a fun yeah, gay. Yeah, that's really my aesthetic, I think. So rather than have you bog me down through three or four more takes, we're just going to roll with this. Mm -hmm. This is the body serve. I'm James. I'm Jonathan. This uh, episode is a little bit different for us because our normal recording computer is um, in the shop. <laughs> it, was... it, it took a tumble off the couch and... Scarlett did take a tumble mm -hmm. that day. And the stand it was on smashed into the screen. And so the screen was totally busted. Mm -hmm. Because it's COVID... Uh, we couldn't drop it off anywhere, so I had to mail it in it through FedEx. It literally happened the day that Ontario was shut down for real, real. Mm -hmm. And so it was like, well, can you go to FedEx during a stay-at-home order? I guess we'll find out. Um, anyway, it's being worked on. We're using our old computer. Hopefully it works. Yeah, if there's a difference in sound quality, that's why. We haven't recorded with this setup. We had to like go try and remember how we used to record with this what 10 year old computer at this point mm -hmm, mm -hmm. we have really been taking our time in between episodes this year haven't we two are you are you baiting me to throw you under the bus it's like two weeks just flies by and it's like oh god i guess we should do another episode well listen we got three episodes out in april which is not nothing vince completes his four weeks tomorrow four weeks of bed rest crate rest mm -hmm. he'll be let out what at midnight tonight <laughs> no because then we have to, like, worry about sleeping arrangements. And tomorrow we'll deal Leave with it. Leave it for another day. Meanwhile, in tennis, the European clay season took off in earnest. Of course, we had Monte Carlo, uh, what, two weeks ago now? Barcelona was last week, along with Stuttgart, the premier indoor clay tournament of the year. And the uh, pristine clay courts in Belgrade that, that were most pleasing to world number one, Novak Djokovic. Yeah, we'll, we will get there. We're going to start with this past week and work backwards. Mm -hmm. Barcelona, the venerable 500 clay tournament in Barcelona, which Rafa Nadal has now won 12 times. It did not always look that secure. It was the most competitive final he's played here. One of the questions we always get asked is, what are the tournaments that you most want to go to? And for me, Barcelona is now right at the top of the list. Yeah. Mostly because we've now been to Barcelona, and we love Barcelona, and we love Sitges as well. I still look at aerial photos of Barcelona and can't believe that's what it looks like. Mm -hmm. You know, and can't believe that we got to go there. I mean, it would. We've one of the the things that we'd love to do, and having done a podcast for so long, it should be a reward for us. I think is to see Nadal and Clay at some point. So I think if the world allows, we have to pick a spot next year. <laughs> of course, you know, Rafa Nadal won this tournament in Barcelona. 
it did not always look like that was going to be the case, coming off a loss to Rublev the week prior in Monte Carlo, and opening up with a tough three-set match, and being pushed quite a bit the last two weeks. Like, this is clearly a Nadal that's trying to work his way into optimal form. He gets to the final, and he plays the guy who has the most form on clay right now in Stefano Tsitsipas. It ended up being the longest three-set final since this stat started being counted on the ATP in, what, 1991. It was the longest match of the year, period, on the ATP this year. And it didn't have to be that way because (laughs) Rafa had two match points at the end of that second set and Stefano saved them. And at that point, it's it's anybody's game, Mm -hmm. truly. We were already about two and a half hours into this match. So, you know, we're going well over three hours at this point. Rafa had shown more frustration on court than we'd seen in a long time. Maybe not, ever. Not just in this Monte match, Carlo. this entire uh, yeah. clay court swing. He's been struggling with the serve. The backhand is really not penetrating like it should. And he was missing some key shots over the high part of the net. It also looked to me in that final that Stefanos was getting more bounce on his shots. Was hitting with more topspin than Rafa in mm. certain spots. Which was a little bit strange to see. Right. <laughs> Stefanos has just been in incredible form these past two weeks and has kind of established himself as one of, if not the number two competitor for the rest of this clay season. Wow, you you and so many people are just running away on this train. You're like, toot toot, let's go. I'm not saying that he, you know, is going to win Roland Garros or anything like that. But based on his form so far, this is just a massive improvement in, in kind of his fortitude, right? He finally won a Masters 1000 title at Monte Carlo, and that seemed to just carry him through this week. See, this was nowhere near Nadal's best on clay. So necessarily, the other person is going to look better when you compare Mm -hmm. the two. However, Nadal can very frequently win against very good to great players without his best on clay. Which is what he did here. Right. I'm just saying we should caution ourselves when we try and elevate Tsitsipas over a Dominic team, yeah. over a Novak Djokovic as the person who is most equipped to beat Nadal. Of course. Ultimately, I still think it's going to come down to if Nadal beats himself through his level mm. of play. Like He won this tournament with a pretty bad serve relative to what we've seen since Carlos Moya has come on board. His serve has been pretty good in recent years. Uh, but I'm just saying based on the evidence we have so far, right? That that's all we have to go on this year. Of course, Novak is going to be a chief contender for Roland Garros, no matter what. Mm -hmm. No matter if he doesn't reach another final for the rest of the clay season, you will consider him, you know, the number two or three threat on clay, I think. Dominic Team, we don't know, right? Dominic Team has been out. He's been injured. He's been struggling mentally a bit, and he's just starting to feel good in practice again. So based on previous years, obviously. I'm saying that this is a futile useless argument and i learned my lesson i'm sure you can go back to the episodes leading into the french open last year and hear all the trepidation that we had all the reasons we told you why nadal might struggle Mm. in paris the weather all Mm. those reasons and all i say to you now everybody listening is go back and watch that final like that was one of the truly stunning moments to me as a tennis fan watching tennis 
that I could still be shocked and awed by what Rafa Nadal can do on a clay court. So all those what-ifs about Nadal and clay were answered last year in that fashion. I'm not going to go through that again this year. I'm just going to watch the Mm -hmm. tennis. I'm going (laughs) to wait for the French Open and see how it plays out. And bottom line still, I don't care how well Stefano Tsitsipas is playing. I don't care if Dominic Thiem comes back. Is he playing Madrid? I'm not even quite sure. Whenever he comes back, resurfaces, if he looks in tip-top shape, Djokovic is still the number two, mm. regardless. Yeah. Anytime Djokovic shows up on a tennis court, he's a threat to win any match. Regardless of what happened last year at the French Open, he is the top threat to Nadal on clay. Yeah. It's exciting, though, to have another young player step up and be a legitimate threat to the top guys. Nobody has really uh, ripped off the wig yet, but they are trying to shift it a little. Look, by the time they're ready to actually rip off the wig, there'll be no wig to rip. (laughs) That's literally and figuratively. Yeah. Uh, The hair will be gone, and these guys may retire before being truly bested by this next generation. We don't know. I think Stefanos, uh, he has tamped down a little bit of the on-court chatter, uh, some of the, the rage has uh, has been reduced very notably in this final. He had a pretty unfortunate incident with an umpire I think the previous week telling him doubles. to go back to the futures where you belong. Uh-huh. I know Gabon. That's we talked cute. about it at the it's start really of the last cute. episode. No, okay, fine. He had one tournament where he kept his emotions in check. Right, but like I, the next bullshit is just around I'm the I'm just corner. saying is is it a correlation between him like getting his head fully in the game? And, and tuning out his father and other people he wants to scream at. Well, th- by that logic, he acted a fool last week in Monte Carlo and he won. So <laughs> he toned it down and didn't win this week. As far you are right, Tsitsipas has leveled up. Yes. There, there's, there's no two ways about it. We just need to caution ourselves with how we, you know, apply those levels on the level meter. Mm-hmm. The only other thing really of note for me in Barcelona was... Denis Shapovalov debuting his Karate Kid look. Yes, it's very... Someone called it Cobra Kai. Mm-hmm. Um, the blonde guy. I forgot his name. Yeah, I, I, I don't... We watched it, and I don't even remember his name. <laughs> We've watched all... You know they're coming out with a fourth season this year. I don't know how they produce this show so fast. It's a good look for him. Yes, he's ditched the backwards hat. Now he's got the thick headband, and he's got like a short... Mm-hmm. I don't know what you call that. It's like a mini bowl cut. It's... It's more adult looking for him, mm-hmm. which is kind of counterintuitive since it's giving like a karate kid aesthetic. Mm-hmm. But he looks more put together on court. However, his behavior on court is still not put together. Nor is his game, <laughs> for that matter. No. He was easily bested by Felix Auger Eliasim in what their fifth matchup already. Um, the two of them playing together has not delivered. No. Where do you want to go next on the tennis calendar that we're looking back on? Are we stopping in Belgrade or are we stopping in Stuttgart? Okay, let's go to Belgrade. Mm-hmm. So we had a, a series of very, very long three-set matches this weekend. The day before the Barcelona final, we had Djokovic and Karatsev play three and a half hours in the semifinal in Belgrade. Break opportunities galore. Karatsev had 22 break opportunities versus Novak, converting six. Novak had 33 break chances. Clay, clay is the surface where we will be getting these long matches. Yes. We've been kind of spoiled, if that's your thing, by getting cute little two-hour, 
three set matches. (laughs) (laughs) Three and a half hours is exceptional, though, because at the time... It was one of the longest. It was the longest three set match of the year so far. On Saturday, it was the longest three set match of the year, and then the Sunday, right? Nadal Tsitsipas beat it. <laughs> this wasn't exactly a pretty match. Clay has always been Novak's least successful surface. Well, I don't know if I would say always. Early on, he was routinely beating Rafa on clay. Uh, he, you know, before he was dominant on grass. Okay, I'm just saying. Take his career as a whole now. Clay is not his most successful surface. That said, he's always been exceptional still. Mm-hmm. You didn't really expect Novak to show up and giving you wonky results on Clay. Right. You didn't expect his his fortress to be penetrable on Clay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I've seen some of his fans recently say they don't enjoy watching him on Clay anymore. So that's that's the difference to me. It's not that Clay was ever his best surface. But some of his fans are like, we're not really seeing the best version of our guy. You know, he's playing more passively. Maybe he doesn't enjoy the surface as much as other surfaces. Mm-hmm. And it, it kind of shows. But again, like he reached the French Open final last year. He won Rome. He's still very formidable here. But this is just kind of a weird stretch of play. I mean, if you're getting yourself into regular three-set tussles on the surface, it's not fun on your body as an aging tennis player to be doing this all the time. No. But with Novak, who knows? Like, this long, long match against Karatsev could be the match that lights a fire. It could be the practice that he needed. It could have been Dan Evans, to whom he lost in Monte Carlo. He's had Evans and Karatsev back-to-back tournament losses. He's taking off Madrid and then may play the second Belgrade tournament. Yeah, so this is still not clear to me. I haven't seen it reported in any of like the big publications, but we think he's not playing Madrid, and he is on the entry list for Belgrade too. Now, of course, that doesn't mean he will definitely play there, but he is on the entry list. He's uh, only one of two top 30 players there. Galmofis is the other one. Still, I would not read too much into this for Novak. Yeah, yeah, I agree. He, I mean, he himself said, like, it's all about the slams now. Right, these he has a, a shitload of Masters 1000 tournaments. It is about is that an actual measurable thing? A shitload? <laughs> yes. How many shitloads do Rafa and Roger have? <laughs> I, I would have to check a wiki. I don't remember. <laughs> uh, but it's all about getting ready for Roland Garros. Period. Like at at his age. We did talk about this after he broke the record for weeks at number one. That this is what he's always told us. Mm-hmm. And. In order to break the weeks at number one, you had to maintain a certain level at these lower level events, meaning anything yeah. under the level of a Grand Slam. Yeah, you couldn't enter only the slams and a few right. other tournaments. And you had to play well at these events. And then he broke that record and then he told us, well, hey, I'm shifting my focus now. Mm. Like I've always told you I was going to do, now it's about the Grand Slam records. Right. And so we talked about at the time, how will that affect his schedule going forward? Will his schedule look different? Will the effort he puts forward at these smaller tournaments look different? Maybe Mm -hmm. that's something that's in play here now. And I'm sure he's also going through a phase of trying to figure that out himself. And I mean, I don't question his effort at this tournament, especially in this long match, because he could have bailed out a lot earlier if he, you know, if he wasn't feeling it. But sort of an inconvenient truth about tennis and any sport is that Sometimes players go to tournaments and do not put forth their full effort. 
Mm-hmm. Not saying that that happened here, but you you just can't be on all the time. But also, if it is now part of your explicit strategy within your camp as mm. like a new thing, maybe that's what we're seeing play out as well. There's just no way of knowing unless he tells us. And also, like, it's not that big of a deal. We fully expect Novak to come correct in Paris. Yeah. Now, the actual winner of Belgrade, who we haven't mentioned, was Matteo Berrettini, who beat Karatsev in another long final, two and a half hours. Berrettini had been dominant on a serve throughout the tournament, uh, probably faced a tired Karatsev, but who still had two and a half hours to give in the final. (laughs) Berrettini was winning around 80% of his first serves throughout the tournament, which if you're doing that, like you're in pretty good shape. Mm -hmm. I, I do not understand what's going on with Karatsev. At all. We saw him with his breakout at the Australian Open, and there's no way that somebody with that game should have been floundering on the ITF and Challenger circuit for that long. Like, it's not it's not like when Cecchinato had his breakout at the French Open. You're like, oh, okay, cute. Or when Sangren had his moment at the Australian Open. You didn't think that those players would then go on to, to do what Karatsev is doing now. Yeah. Because their games didn't look as good. Like, he has a fluidity to his game, way more tools in his game than these other guys who've had these surprise runs. And how did this not happen till now? I saw John Wortham ask or talk about it on Twitter the other day saying, you know, I, I'm struggling to find a comparison. And folks mm-hmm. were like, well, Vavrinka. And they're like, no, 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 no. Vavrinka was a top 10 player. Vavrinka had made quarterfinals. Yeah. He had been around. Like, this is truly kind of unprecedented. I saw somebody mention maybe Pat Rafter who was mostly a doubles guy specialist before he became a top-flight singles player in the late 90s. It's it's bizarre to me. And um, I, I look forward to folks doing more deep dives on where he came from and how he got to where he is. Like you said, at the end of the tournament, Berrettini was the one holding the, the trophy. We've talked previously how the pause in the rankings, the freeze in the rankings, benefited Berrettini more than a lot of the other players because for a long stretch there he was not having good results and he's found his footing again in 2021 and this will go a long way to propping him up inside the top 10. Yeah this is his first title since Stuttgart in 2019 which is on grass. He's been holding on to those points for a long time. Is it weird that two players were playing on courts named after them this week? I'll answer yes it is weird. (laughs) So we've known about Pista Rafael Nadal in Barcelona for a long time. Novak's family owns the Serbia Open. His brother, George, is now the tournament director. Previously, it was his uncle, and he is playing at the Novak Tennis Center. It's weird. Weird in that it hasn't happened typically in tennis history, a history that is long, but we've also never really had stars of the stature of a Nadal and Djokovic playing this well this late into their careers to be in this situation. Mm-hmm. It is very typical of tennis's conflicts of interests. Uh, Barcelona, at least it's not a tournament that anyone in the Nadal family owns, but the Serbia Open is owned by the Djokovic family. Of course, it's a conflict of interest to play at a tournament that your family owns and operates. Of course, like there's no fandom involved here. That's quite obvious. Um, it's just weird, the sport that we enjoy. The naming of the courts is less weird to me than the conflicts of interest. Like, those yeah. things actually have material ramifications on mm-hmm. the game. Are we heading over to Germany now? 
Yes. So Stuttgart is an indoor clay tournament. It gets incredibly difficult fields. And it is, despite being one of the biggest run-ups to Roland Garros, a very different condition, obviously, mm-hmm. because it's indoors. Karolina Pliskova has won there before. You'd be hard-pressed to think of her as, uh, even in her best of years, a favorite for Roland Garros. But like, it's, a it's, former it's, semifinalist, I believe. Sure, but typically, you don't look to the winner of Stuttgart, save for Maria Sharapova, as somebody who is going to go on to win the French Open. But Maybe I'm full of shit. Maybe. A premier title nonetheless. Mm-hmm. This year, we had number one Ash Barty add to her haul this year, beating Sabalenka in the final. Ash now has 10 straight wins over top 10 players, which is a lot better than most active players. Mm-hmm. Active number ones. She had to beat three top 10 players in order to win this title. We mentioned Sabalenka, obviously, Pliskova, and Svitolina. Here's the thing with the WTA right now. I don't think... The best 10 players are nowhere near occupants of the top 10. <laughs> Fair. And that's that's not a knock on those women, and it's not a knock on the tour. It's just a fact mm-hmm. that the depth in the women's game just becomes increasingly laughable. I looked at the Madrid draw today, we'll get to that, and it's just, it's absurd. Yeah, it's ridiculous. And you think of who is outside the top 10, uh, Sviantek, Muguruza, Sakari, the list goes on. All of these players who are playing top 10 ball, basically. Mm-hmm. Most most times, the winners on the tour come from outside the top 10. And the thing is, it's a, it's a two-edged sword here, right? Because folks then, when somebody ranked outside the top 10 wins a tournament, and they were like, wow, they had such a tough run. And then folks are like, well, they didn't beat anybody in the top 10. Mm-hmm. Oh, look at the, then, the average rank of their opponent, mm-hmm. which is a very misleading. And stuff. then look at me now saying in a in a way that can be used to diminish Ash Barty's achievement mm. that maybe that streak of beating 10 top 10 players in a row isn't as as great an achievement as when somebody might have done that in 2001, 2002. Mm. You know, did you, did you get what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. There's a way to sort of shape the stats to reflect the point you'd like to get across. Mm-hmm. That being said, this is still an achievement for Ash Barty. She's winning on all surfaces. She took the majority of the pandemic off to to stay in Australia. We think, we happen to think that that was a great decision for her. <laughs> we loved it. And in that time, she, she got a lot of flack. But now that she has left Australia and she's back, she's played more tournaments than the number two player, Naomi Osaka. So Ash really didn't play at all last year after the break, but she's more than making up for it this year. She has a pretty full schedule. She won't be back in Australia probably till like October or November. So it seems like if she has to be out of the country and and take all these risks to play, she's going to try to make it worth it as much as possible. Mm. She seems like super mo- extra motivated. You can't argue with the results at this point. Like if you are a Barty hater... You just have to sit there and eat your food in <laughs> silence because it's, week after it's getting week, harder. Now, like her worst result now is like, oh, Ash lost in the quarterfinals. Tragic. Mm. You know, her her base level is still pretty high. Not only did she win singles in Stuttgart, but she won doubles partnering Jen Brady. We've talked ad nauseum about Arena Sabalenka and the nature of her game, the bombast of her game. And how it maybe might restrict her from becoming truly elite. 
without some added variation. But it's not stopping her from making it deep on a week-to-week basis at all. Yeah, it looked really formidable this week, all the way through the first set against Ash. I mean, Ash did, she lost the first set in her final three matches here and came back to win. Arena was kind of felled by this adductor injury that was clearly bothering her through the second and third sets in this final. So it was hard to make a real conclusion from this final. In Istanbul, Serona Kirsteo won her first WTA title since 2008. Mm-hmm. That's a pretty long time in between titles. Yeah, she's been around a long time. She beat Elisa Martins in the final. Uh, she got a wild card to Madrid. Now, mm-hmm. she is mm-hmm. she is Let, dating... Let's save it, let's save it, let's save it. For what? when we get to the Madrid section. Let's okay, save it. Okay, fine, fine, let's fine. Let's save it. Um, okay, so last week, we you know we talked about Monte Carlo a little bit. Tsitsipas winning his first Masters was obviously the headline of that week, alongside Nadal's loss to measles mumps Rubelov. Oh my god. Did you make that up? Yeah. Oh, that's pretty good, actually. Well, I'm sure I'm sure somebody else said it too. Ru Rubelev, uh, because of his not entirely shocking response to questions about the vaccine. Mm-hmm. I am completely off the Rublev train. It has derailed. <laughs> it is still careening into the forests, and I have no desire to alert the authorities to go locate it. I know you don't. You don't like his game. I never really uh, liked his game to begin with. You're not really into the the gaunt, emo, sad dude aesthetic, also, which is fi- it was fine. Also, I'm just finding it very difficult to truly stan anybody new. Like, mm. he was in his probationary period, and then neither his game could wow me, nor his, well, his thoughts on the vaccine wowed me, but in a totally different way. Uh, the problem is that, okay, we're older now. But our favorite players are getting close to retirement. And in order to stay really invested in the sport, you feel like you have to, you got to find somebody, right? To really make you continue to care deeply about it. To then be able to come to record a podcast about it. You know, that, <laughs> right. That's part of it too. It is, it's I'm, getting harder to stand. And I think we just know so much more about players now. That's the difference, right? Mm-hmm. It's, you know, we live in an era where people share a lot, but also we feel entitled to criticize basically anything people say in public, even though some years down the road they may disavow those things. This is heightened to the 10th degree because we're in a pandemic. Yes. And we are still in lockdown in Canada right now, in Ontario, when while the United States is like recovering at a, a rate of knots, Mm-hmm. Right now, mm-hmm. you know, we're still mired in the deep of it, as is a lot of the world. Right? right, We've talked about this, but like this long into the pandemic, I just don't have the patience or the bandwidth to grant that grace to anybody. Yeah, yeah. Um, so anyway, Rafa lost Rublev in a three-set match that, I, I mean, in my eyes, wasn't particularly great. I mean, Rublev was great, mm-hmm. but Rafa was not. Like, it wasn't a, a exceedingly pretty match to watch. But it was uh, it was a job well done. It gave hope to Rublev fans who may mm-hmm. have been concerned that he isn't able to elevate his game specifically in a powerful way to beat the top guys. Like to to blast the ball like that so consistently on clay. Kudos to you, sir. Yeah, yeah. Now on Tsitsipas's part, it was a I would say a surprisingly dominant run. No sets lost. 
beating Karatsev in the first round, Garin, Davidovich, Evans, and then Rublev in the final. That is not is not a bad run. Evans had beaten Novak. Rublev obviously just took out Nadal. Rublev also beat Kasper Ruud in straight sets in the semifinals. This run didn't come out of nowhere for Stefanos, but it was quite a breakthrough at this level. Kudos to Stefanos too, because we were concerned after what happened to him in the third round of the U.S. Open against Borna Cioric that perhaps this that was a loss that could linger for him. And he is completely just moved past it. We talked about, uh, you know, who are the clay contenders, and you and I had... Well, you talked about Right, it. we had some differences in opinion about how we talk about who's next or mm-hmm. who are the challengers. Dominic Team, obviously, he hasn't played in, in a little while. He's someone you expect to reach the final stages at these early clay tournaments, Monte Carlo and Barcelona. He's, he's a stalwart at these tournaments, so it was weird not to see him. And it's hard to draw any conclusions about how he will do because he's had such an unusual spring for him. He gave an interview where he said, After the US Open, I was in a state of euphoria. The results still matched. I was in the final of the ATP finals in London. But in the preparation for this season, I fell into a hole. Whether the looseness will come, we will see. I don't know. I hope so. Went on to say coronavirus has taken away the good things, starting with travel, free movement, the bad things remain. It's difficult to play week after week under these circumstances. You know, Benoit Pair, take a take a leaf out of this book. Oh, I thought you were going to say take a leave. That too. That too. I I appreciate Dominic's candor here. You don't always get this from tennis players. He is obviously struggling mentally, struggling with motivation a little bit, and he has indicated over the past few days that he's kind of breaking through again. He's starting to feel good in practice. He was dealing with this foot injury at the same time, but it seemed like there was kind of a lot closing in on him. And for somebody who would put so much stock in finally breaking through and winning a Grand Slam, you can understand how you need to reset. Like, your life goal is achieved, so now it's like, what's next? How do I continue this? Uh, How do I become the number one? So many players struggle after winning their first Slam. And actually, like, I didn't see him as one of those players. But, I mean, you win your first Grand Slam, and then you still have to worry about being relegated to interview room two at the next Grand Slam. You have to worry wow. about people coming after your money when they don't deserve it. You know, there there is a lot outside of just this to consider as a tennis player. <laughs> In all seriousness, I do appreciate uh, his tone seems to have moderated from last year in talking about the pandemic and that it is actually starting to really wear on him i don't know i i don't know how to to think about that or if i'm being too cynical here but dominic team is the person who played more than damn near anybody on tour right so So he's the person who's gonna be probably most affected or exposed to all the travel restrictions along with benoit pair because he plays damn near every (laughs) week as well it's it's bound to happen that you get frustrated like regardless of how you view the pandemic regardless of of how you how you take precautions, what your like political viewpoint and all this is, you're gonna be affected by this. Do you know what I mean? So I, d- I don't want to like take his words here now and then make some kind of gracious value judgment judgment on like mm-hmm. some kind of Dominic team growth. Jonathan, I, it's called having empathy. I told you my bandwidth is not there. 
<laughs> it's just not there. And like, I, I need to see something more than that. You know, kudos to him for having that self-awareness mm. and to being able to express himself this way and being able to provide that self-care for himself. But this does not change my view of Dominic Team, is what I'm saying. Fair. It fine. seemed that that was the, the direction that you were going with that. I wasn't saying you had to change your opinion. I'm just asking you to have empathy for other human beings, even famous ones. <laughs> yes, easy for me to sit here and say this, but if I were in their positions, I'd be staying at home and counting my millions too, and like just lounging <laughs> by the pool. You know, like mm, yeah. it doesn't feel to me that it's a great hardship to not be on tour right now. Okay. So that same week, Charleston had a second tournament. Volvo Car Open was first. Then they had Charleston 2, which is like MUSC Health Open or mm -hmm. something like that. Yep. Um, Astra Sharma won her first career title beating on Shabur. Shockingly at this point, even though Jabour's come up has really only been the last year and a half, she was in search of her first career WTA title as well. Mm -hmm. We saw the Bogota champ Osorio Serrano reach the semifinals. The Volvo Car Opens runner-up reached the semifinals again. That's Kovinic. And I mean, if you're in Charleston, why not play again? Come back next week. Let's talk about Madrid. Because this is a tournament that historically we have not necessarily cared for. And one of the chief reasons for that is who the tournament director is. Mm -hmm. Jan Tyriak. You had alluded to this a little bit earlier, but... Ms. Serona Cristea was awarded a wild card into this very deep field. Mm. I assume that that would have been the case regardless of her win in Istanbul. It makes the pill... You can't assume. Fine. But if you were to assume, her win there at least makes this a less bitter pill to swallow. Yeah, it makes it legitimate. Why are you burying the lead here? Serana is dating Jan Tyriak's son. Okay. <laughs> Folks have been listening to the show. We've talked about that before. Okay. Uh, so, you know, there obviously is always an appearance of a conflict of interest in situations like these. But I think the winner of a recent clay tournament getting a wild card into Madrid is not a surprising thing. Mm -hmm. It only has the appearance of a conflict because of their relationship. I'm not going to bat for Ms. Kirsey here because I certainly will not take this platform to do that ever. It is absolutely still a conflict of interest. Yeah, I'm just saying that's that wouldn't be surprising no matter who the player was if they happened to win Istanbul to get a wild card into Madrid. Fine, fine. She's ranked 58 as of this week after that tournament win. It's a 64-field tournament. It's not that ridiculous. <laughs> I, I stand corrected. Yes. It's just still a whole lot of mess. Far be it for me to defend anything having to do with Tyriac, but I, I just... Uh, let's not make a mountain out of a molehill here. He's still trash. Oh, indeed. And he makes trash decisions at that tournament, and he's a stain on the uh, the sport. Serrano's would-be husband will probably be sending a cease and desist letter soon, <laughs> like he did to Alexis Ohanian, but, you know, whatever. This draw, though. I'm just going to talk about this really quickly. Mm. Top half, Ash Barty plays Shelby Rogers in the first round. That is the fourth time that they have played this year alone. <laughs> Ash is 4-0 career. Like, that sucks for Shelby Rogers. It just does. Kerber could potentially play Kvitova in the second round. Elena Vesnina is making her singles main draw return from having a baby. She's previously played doubles. She's going to open against Kudermetova, who is the top-ranked Russian Volvo Car Open champion this year. Sloane Stevens has to play... <laughs> 
Garbinia Muguruza in the first round. The winner of that match likely to play Anshabur in the second round. Like, it's, it's just crazy. Venus opens, she's a wild card, opens against Jennifer Brady. That is yeah. unfortunate. So not great. Naomi Osaka could be playing Karolina Muhova in the second round. Sakari against Anisimova in the first round. Karolina Pliskova playing Coco Goff in the first round. Azarenka Alexandrova. And then potentially Sabalenka and Kazatkina in the second round. Like, this is mm-hmm. this is going to be lit. Like, But it's not helped by the fact that there's a bunch of qualifier versus qualifier matches in the first round. That's that just true. the way the draw shakes out. If y'all haven't seen this interview slash documentary that Daria Kazatkina made, you absolutely should. <laughs> yeah, so this is uh, done by sports.ru. The interviewer, Sonia Tartakova, recently published another interview with Rublev. And this woman is insanely good at what she does. She's managed to get all these just bombshells from these two players in a way that sports media rarely can. She just asks extremely direct and invasive questions. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And the thing is... Dasha Kazatkina was already known as a, a pretty funny person. She's witty. She's willing to sort of uh, banter. Her social media is hilarious. But, I mean, this was a whole nother level. She asked her, point blank, there are all these girls in your generation who have won Grand Slams. Are you envious when you see Sonia Kenin out here with a Grand Slam? When you see... People younger than you, like Iga Shrantek with a Grand Slam? And she said, yes. And then Nadia said, what makes them better than you? And Dasha, to her credit, says, I don't, I don't think they're better. We learned a lot of things. We learned that she considered retiring in early 2019 after losing to Zvonarevo. We learned that Nike dropped her. She doesn't have their sponsorship anymore. That she's mm-hmm. still wearing Nike, but that's because she's had five years worth of clothes piled up. Right. Apparently she can wear the leftovers, but when the leftovers are gone, she's going to have to find another clothing contract. The retirement question was interesting because she said that at the time her coach was Philip DeHaze, and he said, if you don't want to do this, then maybe it's time for you to find another profession. And that can be interpreted in so many ways. You know, we're watching a translated interview. Mm -hmm. We don't know, you know, her tone doesn't seem like she was upset, but she said she was hurt by what her coach said and how he said it. And then she quipped that, good thing I can't do shit for a living except tennis. <laughs> <laughs> right. These, I mean, this interview, though, the title cards were... They were to the point. Yes. One of the title cards said, bisexuality, gold diggers, sex with opponent. <laughs> um, did Dasha casually come out as queer? Yeah, she did. She absolutely did. <laughs> it was, I heard, I saw a lot of people talking about it. And thanking her for speaking up about being bi and whatnot. And the majority of the conversation that that veered in that direction wasn't very explicit. No. And so I was like, when is this... Are we getting there? When is this happening? The interviewer then addressed it head on. She said, you tend to swing both ways. (laughs) She's like, yeah. And then she went into this whole discussion about the differences between being in a relationship with a man and a woman. And she said she's open to being in a relationship with a woman. 
So, I mean, that was just one of many delightful tidbits from this interview. It was, I mean, it was a fascinating look at the mind of a professional tennis player, if you're not into all that mm. extraneous stuff. It must be a cultural difference because there's no way that, say, a North American player would answer, like, how are you, how much do you pay your coach? Like, you get the initial <laughs> brush off, uh-huh. and then here's this interview with the follow up. But yeah, like, so how much is it? She talks about the bonus, the big bonus that she paid her coach one year. And then the interviewer is like, well, what are we talking about here? 10, 15%? Mm-hmm. She's <laughs> she like, wants to know exact numbers. She's like, 10%. And then the interviewer is like, well, that's kind of small, isn't it? She's <laughs> like, no, that's pretty standard. And then, she's like, <laughs> and then she goes on to say, well, how much exactly do you pay them? <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. It's like, well, this is... Oh, were you mad when Svetlana was using your coach? No, she wasn't, for the record. But uh, not to make any sweeping generalizations about a culture, but the the directness is refreshing. Coming from a media environment like we have in North American sports, where it's, you know, a player in front of a group of reporters and you get these kind of rote answers. This was, uh, it was so intimate. Mm-hmm. Carlos Suarez Navarro announced that she's, quote, cured after treatment for Hodgkin's lymphoma. And we're hearing rumors that she's planning to play the French Open. She practiced at the Madrid Open this week. She is, I'm told, scheduled to practice with Venus tomorrow. We'll see. Oh. If, we'll see if that's the case because the actual written announcement has Serena practicing against Suarez Navarro. Well, I can guarantee that it's not Serena. <laughs> <laughs> that is that is good news for her. Absolutely good news. Yeah. She seems to be one of the most beloved players on tour and. I imagine there are a lot of happy scenes in those locker rooms with with Carla back on tour. Yeah, she said it's, you know, it's been seven months of treatment and she's finally seeing the other side for something completely different. This can't be good because the next two items on this agenda are Fonini and Benoit Pair. (laughs) You might remember that Fonini was defaulted in Barcelona this past week for allegedly insulting a line judge. We didn't hear it. Right? We didn't really see it or hear the incident, so there's no way for us to know what was or was not said. But he was defaulted from the match and the tournament. He told Corriere dello Sport in Italy that he may have to sue the ATP because this default has tarnished his image. Quote, because tarnished his image. He said it's false, and it's tarnished his image in front of his children, which his children are the most important things in the world to him. Uh... Fine, fine. I like. I'm making no judgments on whether or not what was said to have been said was actually said. Was he not concerned about the entirety of his career before now? Well, he's, that's the thing. Right? He's a grown ass mid thirty year old. Like what? What image is there to be tarnished? I mean, he's called his opponents racial slurs. He's called female umpires whores. He's berated people all over the globe. I mean, he's, if this tarnishes his image, he has already embarrassed himself completely. He's a wrecking ball of all manner of shit in tennis. And this is just a little bit precious, frankly. It really is. But he has appealed it and he said if his appeal is not granted, he will have to consider suing the ATP. I mean, good luck with that one. I would would love to follow this court case if it (laughs) happened. I would love... Oh, yeah. To watch the defenses 
rollout of evidence. <laughs> Benoit Pair has finally, finally faced some consequence for his months-long tirade on the ATP Tour. The French Federation of Tennis has banned him from representing France at the Olympics. We found out that he had already received a warning from the Federation's Ethics Committee for his behavior against Serundolo. He apologized, but the stuff kept happening, right? He spat again on court. He's spitting in pretty much every match. Right. The straw that broke the camel's back here was his match against Jordan Thompson. The comments that he made after the match made the French Federation Executive Committee say, you know what? Clearly your apology was not sincere. This stuff keeps happening. You have been ruled out for selection for the Olympic team for, quote, inappropriate, unsportsmanlike, and repetitive behaviors. This is not coming from the ATP. This is not coming from the ITF. This is coming from the French Federation. Which you would think would be the most disinclined to act. If, If it were one of their top players, it would be a much more difficult decision. But... Does this make the ATP um, think twice about not having no, instituted any penalties? No, absolutely does not. They don't give a shit about anything. <laughs> they don't care about anything. As far as I'm concerned, this is a get-out-of-jail-free card for the French Federation. They have so many players from which to select for yeah. this Olympic team. Mm-hmm. And given Benoit's elevated ranking where he frankly should not be because of this rankings freeze. It's now, well, wow, we can get to, to send somebody who could actually do some damage at this tournament. Because mm-hmm. Benoit wasn't doing shit. Right. Would not be doing uh, anything. And this gives them also a little bit of maybe unearned moral high ground. Of course. It's certainly earned more than the ATP, but... It's uh, it's low-hanging fruit. <laughs> I'm honestly just surprised anything happened because... This has been going on so long, it seems that he's been baiting, basically daring any organization to censure him in any way. And it has finally happened. The Court of Arbitration for Sport has denied a second application from Diana Yastremska to to appeal her provisional doping suspension. Yeah. So So she remains ineligible to compete while this process plays out. Right. She's still under this provisional suspension. The ITF now has to rule on how long the suspension will be, um, basically sentencing. And she will also, I believe, be able to appeal that Mm -hmm. if she doesn't like that. But the CAS, the Court of Arbitration for Sport, has made it quite clear twice now that they're not hearing, they're just not buying the appeal for the provisional ban. Now, their decision could be different when a real suspension is instituted. We shall see. But I guess this probably means that, you know, the evidence or the story that she has presented has not been convincing to them. This is clearly not what she hoped for. This is uh, another blow to her optimism, to her defense. We know that she traveled weeks after getting COVID to infiltrate the Australia bubble with hopes of being able to play the Australian Open. That hasn't happened. And now, months later now, this is three months later now, she's dealt another blow. Mm-hmm. I'm, you don't have to sound so happy about it. I'm not happy. I'm just saying, from the start, this all felt very optimistic on her part. Yes. 
And you know, who who is going to advocate for you if you don't advocate for yourself? But in the case of you have to, clearly, as we've seen, you have to come up with a compelling, uh, dare I say, exciting story mm. to overturn a doping suspension. In the case of straight white men, there are no shortage of people willing to advocate for you. <laughs> so like, yes, Serena Williams is currently in France. Is she there already? She's there. Video was released today of her practicing on a red clay court in France. She will play Rome. We learned also from Zena Garrison when she posted on Instagram that Zena was part of a six-week training block with Serena and Mackie Shillstone was also pictured there. Mm -hmm. You know, the army is going to live off this for several weeks. It's super exciting that Zena and Serena are together. Mm -hmm. um, y you know, we're all speculating why, what did they talk about? You know, what did Serena feel that Zena could give her in this moment? Like, was it her wisdom? Did she need... Uh, a friend with her while she was in this training block. It's cool to think about as a fan of, of both women. But, you know, Zena is Serena's former Fed Cup coach. Captain, sorry. she's She's been there. She knows what it's like to be a top player. Maybe Zena, she just needed someone with a, with that wisdom. Zena told us that they have a personal relationship. So mm -hmm. that should not come as a surprise. Folks have gotten into this routine of thinking for whatever reason, that Serena Williams does not take her training seriously. And that's that's so absurd to mm -hmm. me, frankly. It's, it's upsetting, it's offensive that folks in their basements on the internet should think that they know better than Serena Williams what she needs <laughs> as a grown-ass 23-time Grand Slam champion to yeah. still be performing at this level. So, I mean, you can say that, but yes, over the next several weeks, it will be a whole lot of uh, assessing her footwork and her movement mm -hmm. and all these things, watching these grainy practice videos on Instagram. I would like that era of Serena fandom to depart. What I would like to remain, because we've seen teases of it, is Serena dragging people on the internet. <laughs> for not minding their own business. Mm -hmm. That's yeah. what I'd like yeah. to see continue. Unfortunately, Bianca Andreescu continues to have a, a run of bad luck. She's tested positive for COVID-19. You'll remember she had to withdraw in the Miami final against Ash Barty with an injury. You know, she was back. Now she's not back. Wish her a very rapid and uneventful recovery from COVID-19, but it's just another setback in the past few years for her. Are you ready for your quiz, James? <laughs> this may I come guess. as a surprise to folks who are listening because we didn't tease it at all. Mm -hmm. And we haven't done a quiz in a long time. Um, We've had quizzes on the agenda that I just ended up forgetting to make. <laughs> is this quiz about tennis? This quiz is about tennis. Oh dear, I'm not going to do very well this then. This quiz is about the ATP and the WTA top 100 rankings. Like right now? Currently. Oh, as Lord. of this week, dated... April 26th. Okay, let's go. Let's embarrass myself. On the ATP tour, which country currently has the most players in the top 100? A couple of weeks ago, this was one country. As of this week, it's two countries have the most players mm. in the top 100. Um, France. That's one, correct. And Spain. 
Wow, look at you go. Really? Mm-hmm. Both countries have 11 players in the top 100. Wow. We also have a further two countries that have 10 players each in the top 100. So these four countries have 42 players in the ATP top mm-hmm. 100, which is a lot. That's yes. pretty top heavy. Can you tell us what those other two countries are that have 10 players have 10? each in the um, top 100? Uh, I don't know if this is a stupid response. Is the U.S. one of them? Yes. Oh, okay. So it hasn't fallen that much. Well, There's just no like great players. We'll get to that later on. <laughs> and um, I want to say um, Argentina. No, Argentina has five. Okay. All Italy right. has ten. Oh, of course. Yep. So in the top in the top one hundred of the ATP, the breakdown currently is France and Spain have eleven players. Italy and the U.S. have ten. Then Australia, Argentina, and Serbia all have five. And this isn't an official question, but can you mm. tell me the two countries that have four? Did you say Russia yet? No. Russia. Yes. And um, I should have really listened more closely when you were counting those down. I will say, uh, oh, Canada. Yeah. You've, yeah. You've yeah. gotten all of you so Milos, well. Felix, and Dennis. You're doing so well, sweetie. Wow. Now, this is where it's all going to derail for you. <laughs> the last two questions on the ATP Top 100. How many Italians can you name in the Top 100, mm-hmm. of which there are 10? And how many Americans can you name in the Top 100, oh of which there are 10? Okay, so Italians, uh, Berrettini. Yes. Musetti. Yes. I don't have to do it in order, right? No, no, because you, jumped, you mm-hmm. did number one just now, and then uh, yeah. you jumped all the way to number seven. Uh, Fognini. Correct. Sinner. Correct. Okay, now it gets a lot more difficult. Um, Seppi? Correct. He's a ninth highest ranked Italian. Mm. Uh, Gianluca Maggier? Yes. Number eight. So you've got six so far. Mm. Oh, uh, Lorenzo Sonego? Correct. Seven. I've mentioned one of these players already on this episode. Oh, really? Hmm. While I was talking about Karatsev. Oh, um, Cecchinato. Correct. He will fall out of the top 100 next week. But mm-hmm. as of now, he is the 10th highest okay. ranked Italian. And so you've got two I think more I'm, left. Yeah, I think I'm spent. Do you want to know what the other two are? Yeah. Stefano Travaglia. Uh-huh. And Salvatore Caruso. Oh, See, I think those were the hardest. The two I didn't mention. So you got eight. That's pretty good. Mm. And now you need to name the murderer's role of American male mediocrity. Mm-hmm. Um, Josh Hawley. <laughs> Jim Jordan. Madison Hawthorne. Ted Cruz. He's, he plays wheelchair it's tennis. Cawthor- it's Cawthorne. Oh, Cawthorne. And don't ask him about going to Hitler's house. Mm. It's not a question he likes. Um... John Isner. Yes. Sam Query. Correct. Steve Johnson. Correct. Francis TFO. Mm-hmm. Exempt. Exempt from that. Yes. Um, He's really the only one that we know for sure. <laughs> the only one. Uh, yes. Uh, Sebastian Corda. Yes. 
How many are there? Ten. You've named five. Oh, God. Um, yeah. That, that yeah. dude, Brooks, Brooksby Swanson. What's his name? <laughs> Jensen Brooksby? Yes. No. He's not in the top 100. No. Is that his name? I think so. No, he's not in the top 100. I feel like that's a golf name. It's some kind of name. Uh-huh. Just don't give me any clues yet. Let me keep okay. going. Um, who, God, who are the other guys? It's most definitely not Jack Sock. Or any of the Harrisons. I said the top 100, not uh, the top 1,000. Wow. Um, oh, Mackenzie McDonald? No. He's not in the top 100? No. Oh, shit. Michael Moe? No. No. Now I'm just naming Americans that I like. You haven't even named the number one ranked American who's ranked number 30 in the world. I feel like that's a lie. That is not a lie. You haven't named a number... I haven't named the number one American? <laughs> you are missing the number one, the number three, the number four, the number five, and the number ten. <laughs> Shows you really how much I care about American tennis right now. Um, are you sure? Are you California dreaming? Put you in, put yourself in a headspace to be California dreaming um, about frosted tips oh, and a laissez-faire kind of JJ Wolf. No, <laughs> he's Ohioan, isn't he? I don't know. This dude has a surfer dude aesthetic. Oh, oh Thomas Paul. That's one of them, but not the top ranked, yeah, top yeah. ranked American. Uh, he, to be honest, I really cannot he's remember. He's been giving a lot of hierography. Hair mess, some would say, um, in the last few months. Frosted tips, pinned up, very I, slight not, in stature. Sebastian Corda? I just mentioned him. Looks like Coach Taylor. Could be Coach Taylor's son. Like from Friday Night Lights? He himself has a son. He has a son. Yes. Has been married. Is now divorced. At like 22 years old. Oh, oh, Taylor Swift. The number one ranked American, yes, mm. Taylor Taylor wow. Swift. Yeah. These, honestly, like, they have no occupancy in my head. Like, I, <laughs> I will not remember them five minutes from now. Can you see the forest for the trees? The tallest oh, tree. Oh, of course. Um, that guy from Below Deck Sailing Yacht. Um, <laughs> the, the tall guy. Yeah, the tall guy. Um, Has a... A first name that could be a girl's name or a boy's name. And you know, you a know, name, I know him. a first name who was also a woman in Below Deck. Okay, honestly, like the lockdown is really fucking with my brain. So <laughs> I know him. It's like um, okay, listen. What is it like, Bradley or something? Listen, who is the redhead on Below Deck, the deckhand who was just popping off on everybody on Below Deck, where her. Bolson couldn't say anything to her. Oh my god. <laughs> yes. Uh, what was her name? Her name is his name. Mm -hmm. Spelled differently. She's from, I think, Alaska. Yeah, I know who you're talking about. Honestly, I cannot remember. This is so stupid. Okay. I'm going to be so embarrassed. So that's Riley Opelko. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there it is. There it is. You're not going to get Marcos Duron. Uh, no, because I actually I didn't know that he was from the U.S. And... The worst offender of the lot. Cawthorn's older brother. Can we just move on from this country, please? Tennis Sandgren. Oh, God. Um, I hope that the listeners will forgive me because they too would prefer to forget. Look, you got seven of the men, of the American men and eight of 
the Italian. Yeah, no, that's I was pretty good. I was happy with the Italian side. You did pretty well. The on fact the, the fact that I couldn't remember Riley Opelka's name is really embarrassing. That is pretty bad because I know his name. Like I, I know mm-hmm. him. <laughs> All right, WTA. Which country has the most players ranked in the top one hundred? Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's the United States. That is correct. An unofficial question, but how many players do mm-hmm. you think that is? I would I would say like. 14. 17. Oh, wow. And do you know who is the 17th highest ranked American woman right now in the 90s? Do I? Um, probably not. She, uh, Danielle Collins? She's going to be introing this episode. Are you serious? Yeah. Venus the Williams? Venus the Williams is the 17th oh, ranked Christ. American woman right okay. now. Okay. With 10 and 9 players ranked in the top 100, which are the next two countries on that list? Mm-hmm. Number two and number three. I, I want to say, that's probably really wrong, but Russia and Spain. Both very wrong. <laughs> Neither of them are in the top six. Really? Correct. No, as in, yes. Yes. As in, you're wrong. Right, as in, yes, you were incorrect. Correct. Uh, okay, are you going to tell me? The answer is the Czech Republic with 10 and... Oh, no, you said Russia. Yeah. Yeah, Russia is one. Oh, wow. Oh, my God. Can, R- we get, can we get a new host, please? No, the R... See how I have it written here? That's the answer sheet. It's not the answer sheet. The R looked like an A. I thought it was AUS. I mm-hmm. thought it was Australia. So you're right. You okay, so I got there. one of them. You Czech Republic, one. okay. Big, big miss. Fair. Russia has nine. Okay. Think about this one now. You have two more questions left. Which country has the lowest combined ranking for its top men's and women's player? Do you understand that question? Like the best? By lowest, you mean like the best ranking? Correct. So say if Barty and Djokovic were both Australian, Mm -hmm. they would be number one with a ranking of two. Right. right. Combined ranking of two. Um... Okay, I have my guess. Okay, tell me. I think I think it's actually Spain. You're correct. With Rafa and Garbinier. Mm-hmm. The total the number is fifteen. Rafa advancing yet again to number two this week. And Mogarutha at number thirteen. Oh oh, so you were adding them together. Okay, I was yeah. thinking, well it's the same thing. I was thinking like the average, you know. No. But it's it's the same thing. Adding them together. Yeah. Who do you think is number two and number three? Unofficial. Mm-hmm. Um, I, w- I want to say... I think Russia is one of them. And... The US. Russia is number seven. <laughs> and the US is number ten. Oh my god. Yeah. Wait, how... Oh, think about it. What's the you, best American man ranked? I told it's like you, in the 30s? I told you, Taylor Fritz, number 13. Okay, 30 plus two. 30 plus is only four. only 32. Naomi is two, isn't she? She's Japan. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> I told you I was going to do badly on this. Of course, Naomi plays for Japan. I knew that. Uh-huh. You, uh, for you, the record. You were just please muddled by that lunatic rant on The Breakfast Club uh, yes. the other day. Oh, yes. D- from Dr. Umar. <sighs> please strike that from the record. I know that Naomi Osaka plays for <laughs> Japan. Uh, I just had a momentary lapse. So the U.S. is number 10 with 34, 4 for Cannon, and 30 for Fritz. 
Right. Um, so wait, have... wait, wait. Let me let me try again. Are, <laughs> are there any top Czech men that I can think of? Czech is no. not on this top ten list. No, it's not. Uh, it's not. Um, let me think about the other countries. <laughs> oh, um, Greece. Greece is number four. Tsitsipas plus Sakari. Correct. Their their total is twenty four. That's Tsits- pretty good. Tsitsipas being five and Sakari nineteen, I believe. So you're telling me that there are countries better than that? Correct. There are two countries better than a combined ranking of twenty four. Mm, Australia. No, Australia is number five, Barty being number one, mm-hmm. and then she brings along Diminar, who's 25. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, Canada? Yes, number three is Canada. Oh, that's not fair, because Bianca has played like twice in the past two years. But right, she's but still... you know uh, that she's still top ten. She's Fine. number six. Who is the man that she's carrying with her, the top-ranked Canadian? Right now? Yes, at number 14. Is Milos. Dennis. Felix. Dennis, I said Dennis. Vashik. <laughs> so the number two ranked team is Mr. and Miss Switzerland. Um, I feel like that's a trick question because I haven't seen Mr. Switzerland since like the last decade. No, Mr. Switzerland played this year. We it's a ranking freeze, bro. <laughs> Brew. <laughs> Brew. The other one's Belgium. Who are the two from Belgium? Um, I don't know. Mertens is Belgian, right? Mm-hmm. And, oh, David Goffin. Correct. I David. was surprised that David is still number 13. Mm. That tournament win did him did him good. Yeah. Germany? Yeah, Germany is uh, Kerbel. Yes. Und. I can't recall any German men, to be honest. Well, it's for the best. Oh, the rat? It's for the best, yeah. So the only ones that you haven't hit on, the only one is Poland. I was gonna, like, I knew Poland was up there, but I knew they weren't the top. Poland is number nine. Yeah. So who is it? Wait, are you? Yeah. Oh, that's that's obviously... Um, obviously. Sviantek. Uh-huh. As and you pause to think about it. Who is it's the man? Sviantek and... Hun- obviously. Hubert. It's oh, Hubert. Okay. <laughs> I would, no, I was thinking about the... The main character of Lolita, Humbert, Humbert. Oh my god. Did you enjoy that little thing? I think that was pretty fun. This game? I think folks will enjoy that. There's one more question for you. Yeah, I think people who hate me will really enjoy it. Because it's embarrassing. (laughs) How many American women in the top 100 can you name? That's the last one. Oh, okay. Uh, Sonia. Of which there's 17. There's the 17 (laughs) Sonias? (laughs) Sonia Kennan. Mm -hmm. Sloan Stevens. Yes. Madison Keys. Yes. Danielle Collins. Yes. Uh, Venus and Serena Williams. Absolutely. Shelby Rogers. That is correct. Jennifer Brady. Mm-hmm. Not Naomi Osaka. Uh-huh. Uh, there's Corey Goff. Yeah. You've got nine. There's um, nine so far. I wonder, I don't know if, is Lauren Davis still in the top 100? Yes. Is That's 10. Christina McHale? That's 11. Christina Michaela is ranked higher than Venus Williams right now. Oh, dear. That is dire. Oh, Lord. Um, Dolad? No. Okay. You've got six That was more. a long shot. A Whitney Osigwe? No. There's only one person on this list that you wouldn't necessarily get. Yeah. It's just hard to, like, conjure them up out of your head, you know? 
I'm good at visual stuff. Like if I knew where they were from, mm-hmm. I could like see them on a map, you know? Interracial marriage. Are you wanting some cute clues? What the hell? You want to see like some she clues? is part of one or she's the product of one? Part of one. <laughs> okay. She married into Oh, 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 of course, of course. Um Allison Risk Almatrage. Yes. Should I just be giving you clues for Yeah, because honestly, I'm spent at this point. Uh this person does not want you talking about her money bin at home. What? Or her daddy's money bin inside the football stadium. Oh. Jessica Pagula. Oh mm-hmm. my god. That's pretty bad that I forgot her. This person is mostly known for having kind of a flatlining personality, except for when she went off on court last year and laid a few F bombs. <laughs> Amanda Nisimova. Mm-hmm. Sorry, Amanda. I am a fan. I didn't mean to forget you. This person may have a legitimate excuse for not wanting to get vaccinated because of needles oh my god um what's her name madison brangle yes and so you've got two left one of whom is a person you picked as a breakout candidate this year oh um Anne lee yeah so there's only one person left the one that i don't think you'll get bernarda mm-hmm. Pera. Oh, yep. Okay. Yeah. So that's that's that. That's the quiz. I know there are listeners who could rattle off like all 17 Mm -hmm. and that's great for you. That's not my life. You're a sporkle genius. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, good for you. I think you did pretty well. Why, thank you. I thought and by saying that, I think I thought you were going to do worse. Um, So when you're sitting there being hard on yourself. I think the listeners will grant you some of that empathy that mm-hmm. I did not grant Dominic yes. team. So what you're saying is that when I'm being hard on myself, just know that you thought I was much stupider than that. No, I, <laughs> I, I did not say that. I just think that we need to be kinder to ourselves. You want me to be kinder to other people mm-hmm. right now? I'm saying we need to be kinder to ourselves. Like Mariah Carey, who on her Twitter space conversation the other day... Uh, told us that she was not happy with her if only you knew somewhere over the rainbow <laughs> performance tribute to Patti LaBelle in 1998. That blew my mind. Uh, yeah, which is ridiculous. I, I've literally watched that hundreds of times. It might be the live music performance that I've watched most in my life. I was in a parking lot when I got the notification that she was live mm-hmm. and I just sat there listening to it and my jaw hit the floor. I could not believe it. And so you, like Mariah, like all of us, need to give ourselves more grace. You know, be yes. kinder to ourselves. Mm-hmm. Because the the things that we think are so bad and such big failures about ourselves are probably viewed as roaring successes by other people. Mm. Or at least neutral. One of the lessons that I've learned I as think, I... I think you're going to be in like the 70th percentile of this <laughs> quiz. No, I, one of the lessons I have learned as I've gotten older is that like the things that you're worried about that people will observe about you, they just don't notice. Like, they don't care. Everybody is wrapped up in their own stuff. Anything specific you want to... No, like you're, you know, like, oh, I'm afraid to go outside because I gain weight over 
the quarantine or I'm afraid to speak up in a meeting because I'll sound stupid. Like most people are so immersed in their own heads that they don't notice those things about most you. Most people can't tell the difference between T-H-E-I-R and T-H-E-R-E. <laughs> so like speaking up in a meeting, have at it. <laughs> Frankly. Like it is one of the things that has most blown my mind about your country. My, my country? Your country. The grammatical mm-hmm. just... Not not Nine the uh, not the storming of the capital that didn't blow your mind. That, it was really the spelling errors that that got you. The spelling errors, <laughs> like I come to expect that stuff from American mm. people, some American people. Yeah, you know, but like that stuff is wild. Like it's like simple concepts, man. Uh huh. Again, I think you're extending enough empathy to yourself now, so just push that <laughs> outward. Anyway, uh. Thank you for listening to episode uh, 226. Something like that. I don't know when we'll be back. We, you know, we, we're taking our time we'll this play year. We'll by ear. I would like to do, we, we would have done another Twitch had we had our proper equipment over the last two yeah. weeks. Yeah, maybe a Twitter spaces yeah. thing mm-hmm. where we don't actually have to be on camera. That's very appealing. To I me. was going to suggest that we did a Twitter space thing as a lead into this recording or maybe like have it live while we recorded a bit of it mm. but i didn't think i could get you to swing for those fences no i don't think so maybe next today time. yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. thanks everyone um keep your head up we're uh well i want to say we're almost through it but i'm not confident that we are but you know these are tough times for us here in canada and for a lot of places in the world and uh we just got to do our best thank you to those folks who left us reviews on the internets since our last episode we saw them we appreciate them we appreciate y'all and if you enjoy the show and would like to leave us a review as well please do my name is jonathan you can find me on twitter at tennis underscore john and i'm james at elliot jmr two l's two t's no k's i think you should just (laughs) let elliot with two t's drag race comparison war thing just die because nobody is checking for her right now Mm -hmm. if if you want to go down a rabbit hole just google that Mm. till next time thank you thank you very much